Out of left field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. Another week. No college baseball since the last time we joined you. It's amazing how last week we talked to you down in Biloxi. It was after the Bulldogs had swept Texas Tech, and boy, little did we know when we walked out of MGM Park that night that we would not see baseball the rest of the season. I'm Bart Gregory. He's Charlie Winfield. We, of course, broadcast for Mississippi State on the SEC Network Plus. And, Charlie, I know everything feels weird to everyone right now. The unknowns that are out there are, are kind of frightening in a lot of different aspects. But for us, boy, it sure feels weird not going to Duty Noble Field and broadcasting baseball right now. You know, we shouldn't be doing this show right now. We should be listening to Jim Ellis calling a game on the road and probably going on the air tomorrow night to talk about a big series at LSU and talk about the series that just was against Arkansas. By the way, that would have been two really tough weekends to start the year. But that's what we expected to be talking about. It's uh, it's surreal. It's been I, – I can't think of anything in my lifetime like it. And – Tonight, I mean, we're going to talk with, with Buck Showalter, who in 1994 went through a work stoppage and then uh, had to, to deal with the Baltimore riots. And when we talk about that on on our show later tonight, Cliff Story, who is head of the, um, the Student Health Center at Mississippi State, will join us as well. And so, Charlie, this is just one of those times where simply sports kind of takes a back seat to everything else. And for us, and, and for a lot of you as well, Sports, the thing about sports that makes it beautiful, especially the game of baseball, is it offers that refrain from everyday life. And that, that's one of the things that's great for us is it doesn't matter what's going on in your day. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You have a chance for three hours on a Tuesday night or a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon to forget everything that's going on, whether you made that sale early in that week or you didn't get that sale early in the week. You, you have a chance to kind of get immersed in something that is not pertaining to your individual life. And that's one of the great things about sports, and that's what we're all lacking right now. And, Charlie, that's one of the reasons that we decided to – that I wanted to continue to do this show. People have asked us over the last week, are you going to continue to do your baseball show? Because the premise of this show was to talk about what goes on on the weekends and what's coming ahead but also one of the premises of this show was to look back at some of the great moments in Mississippi State history and also talk to some people around the college sports world or the professional sports world that can give you some insight about what they are doing now, former Bulldogs, and that's one of the reasons we like to talk about Buck Showalter. And so, Charlie, that's one of the reasons that I feel so good about the content that we're going to have not only this week but for coming weeks because people want sports content. And you don't have to have the games to get sports content. Not when it involves Mississippi State baseball. It's such a long and rich and story tradition. And candidly, there's a lot of stories that remain untold. If you go back to the first two programs that we did, it was to talk about old players. It was to talk about the guys who helped build what is Duty Noble Field now. You know, you think about when you go to LSU and you go to the Pete Maravich Assembly Center, you know, it's the house that Pete built and you know, the jokes about, you know, the house that so-and-so built. No one person built Duty Noble Field. No one player built it. No one coach built it. There's a history that goes back decades of really positive experiences at that ballpark. And a lot of those, candidly, one of the reasons we wanted to do this show, a lot of them haven't been told. 
and it'll give us a chance to kind of do that. It'll give us a chance to talk some of the deeper issues in baseball, to have those arguments about whether you bunt or just swing for the fences. But, you know, I go back. This is a really uncertain time, and there's a lot of people who have issues much deeper right now than missing baseball or missing a baseball season. On a personal level, missing a baseball season is a really big deal to me. Um, On a personal level, my son perhaps missing the rest of his senior year of high school baseball, the end of his career. He's not a guy who anybody was going to recruit, who anybody was going to sign, but a kid who worked as hard as anybody out there to have this chance to shine, to have this chance to be that the guy. And to have it gone, you know, that, that hurts. But you have to keep it in perspective. There are bigger issues. And in my lifetime, when I've had troubles, when I've had difficulties, when my family has, Mississippi State baseball has provided an escape for that. I had a sister who was sick for many, many years and uh, battled a, a brain tumor and, and was very courageous, fought on for years and years. She was sick for five years and blind, losing her sight. The one place she wanted to be was Duty Noble Field. And you think back in my lifetime, it's really awkward now to have the experience of where when we have these troubled times, the place I would go for refuge is now locked shut. And that's tough. So as a substitute, I hope that we can at least talk about it, and I hope we can continue to to share the discussions about it. Absolutely, and we understand with what you've got going on in your world right now, and and you may be in a situation, you may be in a sales force right now, and not knowing what's going to happen, you know, two or three months from now, and and what uh, what that's going to to take place. I mean, I think that's the thing that is the scariest of all things right now, is just the unknown of where are we going to be two weeks from now, three weeks from now, three months from now. Are we going to be ready for college football? I mean, you just don't know. And from a sports world standpoint, now of course, you, some people <laughs> probably don't care about college football, but we do. But um, we understand what you're going on in your life, and uh, that's one of the things that we want you to understand. You can contact us in any way as far as whether it be a tweet, whether it be an email, whether it be a text message. That's one of the things that we're here for. That's one of the things that makes broadcasting in Mississippi State so special is because when we jump on the air, it's amazing the number of times we make a call that may be a big call. We go back and listen to it. There's a double by Westberg, and all of a sudden you don't realize that we're text messaging a buddy about the previous debat or we're responding to a tweet during the game because you can't say – Quinnipiac right. Um, those are the things that we enjoy because you're just as much a part of our life as we are of yours, and that's what makes it so much fun to do what we do each and every week. Charlie, before we go any further, the, one of the things about this time is it's an unknown for everyone, and there's not going to be perfect answers to all these questions because there are no perfect answers because we're in uncharted territory with everything you do in athletics. One of the things the Bulldog Club has come out with in the Mississippi State Ticket Office is if you are a season ticket holder or if you bought an individual game ticket for anything upcoming, they, of course, looking for refunds and whatnot. You have a couple different options if you are a season ticket holder. You have a prorated refund. They will refund you in any way that you paid, or you can 
take that as a credit toward the 2021 season with your uh, with your baseball season tickets. And so the Bulldog Club and the athletic department, of course, is working remotely as well. I did a lot of work on my phone today over the past week. I actually have worked harder. It seems like I've gotten more done, to be honest with you, in the last three days. Well, but you've had a lot of time on your schedule free up all of a sudden. And also, I've had to do a lot of yard work. I mean, during the day, it's amazing. It's amazing when you're at home and you have two children that are under the age of nine that uh, the the amazing list of things that my wife can come up with for me to have to do. And so let me tell you, I'm getting everything done right now along with communicating with hey, the Mississippi State fan base. My wife doesn't know about that yet, so let's, uh, uh, let's Jennifer, not share any ideas. Jennifer, if you're listening, Charlie needs to uh, needs to, to build a fence – He's busy at work. He needs to build a greenhouse. Hey, let's build a greenhouse. That's what we need to do. Let's grow some tomatoes. So that's one of the things going on right now. When you start looking at your tickets, you have a couple of different options. You can reach out to the Bulldog Club as far as email-wise. is probably probably the best way and with your, with your tickets as well. And of course, women's basketball tournament tickets, um, men's basketball tournament tickets, excuse me, not women's basketball, men's basketball tournament tickets, NCAA women's tickets, and things of that nature should have already been refunded. And so if you're looking for, along those lines, um, that uh, those refunds and that procedures are taking place right now. If you have any questions whatsoever, just email the Bulldog Club office. Charlie, the NCAA came out last week, you know, late in the week, and said we are going to grant eligibility to the seniors – for this year's spring sports teams. And here's the thing. You're going to see media that are in an uproar. Hey, you've got to think about this. There are not going to be perfect answers at all to any of this because I can think of several different things is, yes, you grant that extra year of eligibility, which is a great thing, which is something you feel like you have to do. But all of a sudden, it becomes a quandary. Roster management. How many guys are you going to allow to be on a team? If that's the case, if you expand the rosters to 35 or 40, what does that do to game time? What does that do to playing time? How do you manage that roster? What about a guy like Jordan Westberg? What about a guy like Justin Foscue, Tanner Allen, who right now are in their junior seasons? And they come back. They don't get that extra year that the seniors will. So then all of a sudden it becomes, well, what about the June draft? Or when they ever have the Major League Baseball draft, and you start talking about things like leverage. Do you come back for that senior season because you just had your junior season wiped out? And so there's just so many questions. And, Charlie, I know a lot of people don't understand leverage when it comes to the draft, but leverage is a big thing. It is a huge thing. In college baseball, unlike basketball, you are basically eligible to go pro to simplify it before you come to college or after your junior season. There are some exceptions. Or obviously you can play out your career. And so when you were sitting there as a junior and you're drafted, you have negotiating power with the major league team, one of the few times in your life that you do, at least until free agency, because you can always say, I'm going back to school. And if you go back to school, then all of a sudden they lose that draft pick. So it's a big deal for players to be able to go out after their junior year. You're typically going to get more money than if you go out as a senior. We're going to come back. We're going to talk with Dr. Cliff Story, the head of the Mississippi State Student Health Center, and he'll give us an update about what's going on in Startville as far as from a health standpoint. We'll also talk later in the show to Buck Showalter. When we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Cliff Story on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. 
And welcome back to Out of Left Field. Mark Gregory and Charlie Winfield here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And joined now by the head of the Student Health Center at Mississippi State, Dr. Cliff Story. And Dr. Story, we know it's a busy time for you. We appreciate you coming in and hanging out with us for a few minutes. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's a great show you have. I appreciate the opportunity to come speak with you. It has been a crazy time, real busy time, but um, I think it's what I've been saying, a unique moment in time for us. Athletic season is now over, and that's the thing about uh, college sports. The SEC has announced earlier this week that uh, no more college uh, athletics for the 2019 for the 2020 season. So looking back, I know this is uncharted territory for a lot of us, but uh, Mississippi State out of school this week, essential staff on campus right now. But this is not a situation where it's a domino effect. This is something that you guys have been preparing for for a few weeks now. Yeah, well, this is something I think all the schools have been looking at. Uh, you know, when this COVID-19 coronavirus situation started taking off in January, I think everybody really started um, looking at it and start preparing and start talking about it and see what does this mean? How is this unfolding? What are we going to do? And I think the university has done a great job in uh, preparing for that end. So much talk about coronavirus, COVID-19, the different labels that we've given to it. We hear a lot about it. Simply, what is it? What does it do to people? So coronavirus is a type of virus. There's a lot of viruses, flu virus, rhinovirus, adenovirus. Coronavirus is a virus that's been around for a while, causes the common cold usually. But this is a new kind of coronavirus or new newly uh, identified coronavirus strain that we've not had before in humans. So these viruses often in animals then cross over and affect humans. Um, and this is a new one of those coronaviruses. And it causes the disease caused COVID-19. Just along those lines. And so what uh, many people have talked about, there have been coronaviruses around for such a long time, but this is just a new strain of coronavirus. And just uh, by things that I've, saw, I've seen is just it's new, you have no immunity to it. Uh, this is a situation where you, you look around the country, the thing that really stands out in the country is really taking preventative measures. How important is it? And we've seen with Mississippi State being out of school this week, some kids may be going back to spring break in Florida. How imperative is it for the younger generation, for everyone to do the self-quarantine? Well, that's important. It's The doctors are not going to cure it. This is not something that I'm going to fix being a doctor. It's not something that all the doctors are going to figure out. This is something that all of us as people, as a community, are going to figure out and figure out how to conquer. It is a disease that's new, so we have no immunity as humans to it, and we have no idea. We have a better idea now you know, than we did in the beginning of January. There are two other coronaviruses, SARS and MERS, that um, looked pretty deadly viruses um, from the past. So we had no idea what this was going to do, but still, doctors aren't going to fix this, um, not until we get a vaccine, and that's way down the road. What's going to make the difference is all of us washing our hands, keeping our distance from people, um, coughing and sneezing in a tissue, avoiding that spread of the virus. Is that why everyone's buying up all the toilet paper right now? I don't know why people are <laughs> buying toilet paper. I still have not figured out um, off the record, but you can put it on the record. I think my mom has 80 rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> One of the things that we've heard a lot from baseball fans is this idea of, wait a minute, this affects old people. Why can't young people keep playing their games? Why is it important that young people not be out playing baseball or basketball or anything else? Well, it affects everybody. Um, obviously, the ones that are more at risk are the older. The older you get, the more at risk you are, the more illnesses you have 
the more risk you have. Um, in Italy right now, those over 80 now um, are having difficulty finding any medical care because this disease is affecting younger people. There are younger people that are dying from the disease. Not a lot, but there are a few. I've read stories of some ER physicians that are 40 or that are 30 that are very ill and on ventilators from coronavirus. The majority of people, yeah, it looks like 99% whatever are going to get better and heal. The thing is, we don't know who's carrying it. We don't know when we go somewhere if we're infecting someone else. Um, Some people think this is sort of silently carried by members of the community. So you might have mild symptoms or no symptoms. And then you go into an area where other people are ill and then you are not ill, but at risk. And then you transmit that uh, infection to a nursing home or your grandpa or grandma or other people that are high risk. Um, Important for all of us to limit the spread of this disease as much as possible. And we're talking with Dr. Cliff Story, the head of the Student Health Center at Mississippi State. Dr. Story, we're all somewhat of a hypochondriac. Some people are more than others. I mean, if you if you made me look at some kind of disease online, I could come up with in about 15 minutes, you know, I, I may have that. But right now, with everyone talking about preventative measures and about going to your local ER, how important is it right now if you have flu-like symptoms or you think you have a high fever of taking the appropriate steps and not going and sitting in an emergency room right now? Yeah. First, let me just say something about the hypochondriac. It's hard not to be scared of this when you turn on the news and you have 10 professionals saying, oh, this is not bad. Not doing it now, but three or four weeks ago, you turn on the news and people, well, more people are going to die from the flu. This is not a big deal. And then you'd have 10 others saying this is a big deal. It's going to be a big deal. And there's so much information, especially a month ago, three weeks ago, even um, probably two weeks ago, that was confusing to everybody. Um, it's hard not now to be worried about what's going on. Um, definitely, it's important to stay out of the emergency rooms like you were talking about unless you're sick. If, you're gonna, if you have symptoms of the flu, you have symptoms of you think coronavirus, it's most important to call your provider or the ER ahead of time so they can prepare for you. Uh, but you certainly don't want to just show up in the ER if you're, even with the flu or COVID, uh, with, without notifying somebody ahead of time, sitting there coughing and sneezing on people and touching things. One of the phrases that has made its way into the American conversation lately is flattening the curve, talking about flattening the curve of the coronavirus. What does that mean? What are the benefits of that? So flattening the curve. So when you have an illness that's introduced in the community, you have a peak or spike in cases, and then that kind of peak and spike decreases. Um, but that peak can be overwhelming to society when at any one time in the U.S., supposedly we have about 70% of the hospital beds are full. We've just come through flu season. Still flu cases are out there. Had one diagnosed today uh, with flu. And so you're all of a sudden with these really sick folks that get coronavirus, you're starting to overwhelm your medical system. There's a point where you overwhelm it too much, then you can't um, continue to manage effectively all the others that are sick. So if you can spread out these diseases over the course of time, you're decreasing that peak, so you have fewer cases at any one time. So as you spread that out over time, then you're better able to manage the population and better able to manage your care in the hospitals. And with that, and us being at the very end of the the flu season, has there been any discussion about how long they think this could go on? You talk about flattening the curve. Is there any idea in the medical profession about whether the outside temperature could have a big base on this? And are you looking at a situation of May, or are you looking at a situation that could go on into July and August? 
I think that's a good question. I think that's what everybody wants to know. And I think if you could get a question, an answer to that question, I think you could get a million dollars if the answer were right. Question is nobody, or the answer is nobody really knows how long it's going to last. The last, the hope is that this would kind of dissipate as the temperatures get warm. But I would also submit to you that there's cases in Iran where it's pretty warm. I assume it's pretty warm there. Malaysia and Philippines are starting to take off a little bit. So there's definitely places where it's a warm environment and these numbers are increasing. So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think anybody knows for sure. This is probably still going to be around for a while. Hopefully limiting everybody's exposure will help the coronavirus kind of die out. I have no idea if it's going to be done by May or June or July. Most people have been socially distancing from Jason Crowder for years. (laughs) Uh, what's the importance of socially distancing from other people? Again, you're limiting the spread of the virus. So you have the virus and you're coughing or sneezing it. It's in the air. Uh, the further you are away from those droplets, the less likely you are to acquire those droplets. So six number or six feet is the distance it's felt that you're pretty safe uh, as far as being in close contact with people, although those respiratory droplets could still linger. Uh, that's why it's so important to cough and sneeze into your arm or tissues, throw those tissues away, kind of limit as much as possible those respiratory droplets that floating around out there. Charlie, I know you have a hard time believing this, but here's the thing that I've learned is I've been a pretty clean person for a long time because as many people as we come into contact with, you know, we walk through Walmart and, and we're shaking all these hands. And so the first thing that I know to do is I go wash my hands a good bit. And so that's one of the things that, that I've learned is just how clean I've been living for the past while. And I know you have a hard time believing that. I do indeed. Dr. Story, appreciate you coming and hanging out with us. Yeah, thank you for letting me come on and talk. Good day. Next time we'll talk baseball. Sounds good. Well, next time we're going to be talking football. Hopefully. (laughs) Appreciate you. All right. Thank you. That's Dr. Cliff Story, the head of the Student Health Center at Mississippi State. And when we come back, we'll take a look at big moments in Bulldog history brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. You're listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back out of left field presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. You just heard that interview with Dr. Cliff Story. Kind of getting you up to date on what's going on with the coronavirus. I know a lot of people are tired of talking about it, but I'll tell you what, here's the thing you've got to understand is you have to self-quarantine. It's not, it's not th- something that that's fun. I understand that. It's not something that's fun that we want to do. But let me tell you this. My grandmother, great shape, 88 years old. And let me tell you this. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I don't think I have it. I'm about 95% sure I don't have it. But you know what? I'm going to make sure she's taken care of. But just be cognizant with young kids going to see grandparents and people that are are of older age. And we're getting closer and closer to that, Charlie. But uh, just make sure that we take care of that uh, greatest generation. It's time now for a look back in Bulldog history, brought to you by our good friends at Country Pleasing. Country Pleasing Sausage down on Highway 49 in Florence, Cooper's Meat Packers. And I tell you what, uh, 
if you go in that storefront, they've got a lot of great meats that they fresh cut as steaks, whether it be pork, whether it be chicken, anything you can get right there. There's a lot of the seasonings that you want to get at uh, Country Meat Packers. So once you kind of get back and going, go in there and just grab it. Call them ahead of time. They'll have it ready for you at uh, Country Meat Packers and Country Pleasing Sausage. I had another text today, Charlie, from a guy, and I think he included you on the text. Hey, tried Country Pleasing Sausage for the first time, and uh, your advertising worked. And so I'm trying it for the first time, and uh, this is a guy that likes to eat. I mean, he is a food connoisseur, and he loved it. So it was some great stuff. Okay, it's time now for our look back in Bulldog history. Charlie, I kind of opened the floor to you, and I said, I tell you what, what do you want to talk about this week? And you came up with just an off-the-wall subject. I did. Obviously, this is going to go down as the season that didn't end, and that got me to thinking about the ball game that didn't really end. That took me back to 1984. 1984, Ron Polk. <laughs> so Mississippi State's playing down at New Orleans Ah, the, in the mm. middle of a week. And the umpire during the middle of the game, it's 20-13 to 13 is the final score in the ballgame in seven innings. The game doesn't actually end, at least not in its normal course. Because the umpire gets hurt, and they have to call an umpire out of the stands. <laughs> Think about in today's world. Uncle Bobby had to Fred, come out of the top row. Fred Cannon goes down. Well, you probably could find somebody. Anyway, Fred Cannon goes down, and you just look up in the stands and say, hey, you come down and call the bases. So they call an umpire out of the stands. He <laughs> blows. You know, the story is that he, he had been partaking. And let me tell you this. some and I know this is going to be a Mississippi State slanted story because that is the story is is this guy came out and let's just say he he had been having a good time in the stands possibly with something a beverage water a beverage that was not from the concession stand so he blows both ends of a double play call and ron polk as ron polk was wont to do came out and explained to him in very clear and concise terms that he had blown that double play call gets thrown out and instead of leaving the stadium, Ron Polk takes his team and says, we're getting on the bus. And Mississippi State left the <laughs> playing field. The game didn't end. So that got me to thinking, too, that's 1984. And it got me to thinking, too, about the other strange things that happened in 1984. Of course, we remember the painful story of Stuart Weedye hitting the Grand Slam for UNO, the same team, by the way, came back to start with the South 2 Regional was in Startwell that year. And all the players we think about from 1985, they were there in 1984, too. Palmero hit 29 home runs that year. Clark hit 28. I think Thickpen hit nine. So it was a team that was a really good team. You had Brantley and Morgan, all those same guys. But Mississippi State loses in the final game of the South 2 Regional home. Stuart Weedye hits the grand slam that ultimately was the difference. Stuart Weedye's dad, by the way, Wayne Weedye. Big Ooh, Mississippi State guy. Huge Mississippi State guy. I had a chance to, to, to know Wayne real well. And uh, just last week or a week and a half ago, they um, endowed a scholarship with um, with Wayne, had his papers at the at the library, and just a fantastic human being. And, you know, I, Stuart was his son, uh, is his son, and uh, Wayne passed away, you know, a few months ago. And just a tremendous Mississippi State guy. 
And that was a that was a big moment in UNO history, hitting that grand slam that, that gave them that six nothing lead uh, midway through the game. And they end up going to the College World Series that year. Bulldogs don't. But those things are still not the craziest thing that happened in 1984. We got to step away from Mississippi State for a minute because 1984, the largest classification in Mississippi high school baseball, officially has no state champion. And that is because back really? then you used to play a four team tournament to decide the state champion. Starkville and Tupelo were going from the north. And from the south, it was Pascagoula and with an asterisk, Hattiesburg. So the situation was this. Hattiesburg was playing Wingfield in the South State Tournament. They're getting beat 10-3, to I think it was. And the coach for Hattiesburg goes out to the mound. And the umpire tells him to hurry up. And he said, well, if you'd call some strikes, this thing would go a lot faster. Yeah. He gets ejected. That'll do it. The rule in high school baseball is that you have 60 seconds to vacate the field once you've been ejected. Yep. And the umpire informed me to that. And the, as the story goes, the coach told the umpire, well, that'll give me a few more seconds to sit around here and tell you what I think of you. He basically <laughs> says, you're gone. And the penalty for not vacating within 60 seconds is a forfeit. Hattiesburg had a player whose dad was an attorney. He went to court. He got an order. And by the time all the legal process played out as to whether Hattiesburg could play or not, you had pushed well past graduation. And Starville, Tupelo, Pascagoula say, we're done. We're not playing. Our guys have moved on. Hattiesburg, by the way, just declared themselves state champions. Wow. It's like Alabama National Championships. 1941 all over again. And there are some schools in the SEC West that may put a banner in their stadium when they really didn't actually win it. Allegedly. Allegedly. It's what we hear. So it became this big disputed thing. So 1984, we had a high school baseball season that didn't end. We had a ball game in New Orleans that didn't end. But that thing went all the way to the Supreme Court, did it not? It did. And, of course, two years later, the Supreme Court says Hattiesburg should not have been allowed to play too late then. All the players are juniors in college by then. So no state champions. No state champions. And it all starts when Ron Polk – Got thrown out of a ball game. <laughs> That's right. Well, we appreciate you hanging out with us tonight on Out of Left Field. And our final segment on uh, Out of Left Field tonight is a great interview with Buck Showalter. We're going to sit down and talk with Buck Showalter about his time as a manager with the New York Yankees during the work stoppage of 1994 and also his time spent in Starkville. So, are you listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau? Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. It's time now for our guest line segment, brought to you by our good friends at Heartland Catfish, where each week we discuss topics from around the sports world with a former Bulldog great. This week, while you're stuck in the quarantine, like me, you probably have the great taste for some good catfish. 
This week you can find some great Heartland catfish at Southern Hands Homestyle Cooking. They've got five locations in the Memphis area, 6025 Winchester, 7119 Hacks Cross, that's an olive branch, 3624 Austin P in Memphis, 1811 Kirby Parkway, and then 930 Madison, that location inside the UT Health Science Center. So call in your order. They'll have it ready when you drive up. Once again, for the best quality catfish, nothing compares to Heartland Catfish. And make plans to get yours tonight at one of these five locations of Southern Hands Homestyle Cooking. Well, let's go to the Heartland Hotline and Buck Showalter. Former Bulldog great, three-time American League Manager of the Years, managed with the Yankees, the Diamondbacks, the Rangers, the Orioles. Buck, we appreciate you hanging out with us this afternoon. How are we doing today? Oh, we're doing great. We're doing great. And uh, it's just uh, one of the things we like to do is we like to look back in Bulldog history and talk about teams from the 1970s, the 1980s, and the 1990s. And when you look at 1977, when you guys came to start, well, when you start looking at a bunch of junior college guys from Florida, Dell Bender, a Russ Aldrich, a, a Jack Lazorco, how in the world did all of you guys end up in Startwell, Mississippi? You know, it's, uh, well, it's two words, Ron Polk. You know, I had uh, verbally committed to the University of Florida, but I had promised Coach Polk that I would at least make a visit to Startwell before I made a final decision. You know, he can be very persuasive. And as you well know, anybody that's spent any time around him, and, you know, I was from a little bitty town in northwest Florida. We graduated about 40 people out of a senior class. And, you know, it's one of those places where you got to hustle for a prom date. And I, uh, you know, Startwell just fit me a lot better than uh, Gainesville did. And I thought about it a long time. Plus, my roommate and uh, best friend to this day, Russ Aldrich, had decided he was going to go there, and it just felt like uh, the right place for me. Tough call to the athletic director of Florida, but uh, it was a great decision in my life looking back at it. I think there were 10 to 12 JUCO transfers that year. For those who don't remember, you know, Coach Polk, when he first got there, the, the level of high school baseball in Mississippi wasn't what it is now, and he had made a promise to everybody, and some alumni were not too happy about him going out of state, but he said, I want to get this program on a strong footing. And then as I start helping all the high school coaches around the state, we should be able to develop good players uh, in the state and not have to do this as much. But it was kind of a quick fix to, to the baseball program that had kind of taken some steps back in recent years. So we came in there, you know, there was a little, there was some, not disgruntled, but, you know, people wanted to say, well, you better be right kind of thing. And if you know Coach Polk, he's always got a plan. I think after the first 15 or 20 games, I think everybody saw what he was talking about. In Mississippi State history, we think back, obviously we just had a great run in center field with Jake Mangan, a four-year player. Bart and I talk all the time. There were a lot of great players in the 70s, and it feels like some of those players on your team really fit that mold, be it a Mike Kelly, a Russ Aldrich, a Jack Lazorka. How do you see those guys on your team as how they would stack up today? Oh, I'd be uh... – very comparable, if not better. Mike Kelly was arguably the best center fielder ever played at Mississippi State. I think a lot of people miss that. Jake Mangum, I saw him play. He was a good player, really good college player, good runner. Mike Kelly was a different level feed, different level defender. I mean, he, he could outrun the baseball. Uh, you look at professional grades, he was top of the scale uh, foot speed. And uh, he had come there out, I believe, Illinois out of high school and turned in just an unbelievable player. I mean, just watching him run was worth going to a game. You know, that whole infield, Howie McCann at second base, his dad, you know, Brian McCann, the catcher that's doing the big leagues. 
Howie was a left-hand hitting second baseman out of Gulf Coast Junior College. He could really hit and really play defense. And then, you know, Don Robinson, my youth was on the mound. Jack was Orco. We had a Juco pitcher named Buddy Mayer. Uh, they'd come in out of Seminole. He had a great arm. Of course, Del Bender, you could put him up against any any outfielder that the uh, outfielder slash DH had ever played there. I mean, he hit, they talk about balls that people hit now. He was the first real consistent power threat I think they'd had there in quite a while. And uh, a freshman, John McDonald, playing third base. And really, when you stop and look at statistically and you look at the, a two-year sampling of Russ Aldridge, there's not been a better hitting catcher in the history of Mississippi State baseball than Russ Aldridge. I mean, and he still comes to a lot of games, a lot of sporting events there. And any fans that see Russ Aldridge walking around, you need to stop and tip your hat to him. That's as good a uh, hitting catcher as I've ever played with. Talking with Buck Showalter. And, uh, Buck, when you, when you look at baseball right now, and you were a part of some shutdowns, the strike sort, shortened season in 1994. Uh, you had you know, the Baltimore riots you had to deal with with you know, managing in an empty stadium. What's it like in today's world with baseball being shut down right now? What's it like for a team to try to come out of something like this? Well, you know, I've been asked a lot about it, I guess because there's not a lot of people that have those two things, so to speak, on their resume. I know when we went to camp with replacement players was the low part of my career in baseball because we had a lot of people down there that shouldn't have been there. And we were, for, you know, our owner, Mr. Steinbrenner, told us that it wasn't going to happen. Just go down there and do what you got to do. We had people, people from every walk of life, uh, co-op leagues, uh, city leagues, some people that, uh, quite frankly, weren't real good characters and we couldn't wait for it to be over. It was awful for the coaches. We actually broke camp and went to Colorado, played, I believe, the first game ever in Coors Field Stadium with the replacement players. And we got word halfway through the game, really about the seventh inning, that the strike had been settled. And we had to turn around, get on the plane, and head back to Fort Lauderdale to start spring training up a shortened version with the players. And I think my advice to a lot of people, they're going to have to start back over again. The biggest issue you're going to have is with the pitchers. And to think that you just pick up where you left off, I remember the first month of the season in New York, we basically shortened up a lot of the pitchers' outings so they just weren't ready. And if you don't do that properly, you're going to have some arm issues with these guys. If you try to go from A to Z, you're still going to have to go through a process to get those guys ready. So those two-week spring trainings, you pay a price for them. There's a reason why experience shows you how long it takes to get And really, that's what spring training is about, about getting the pitchers ready to go. You know, playing in an empty stadium – you know, the, the things that caught me was how much quicker the games were played and how many things were driven by emotion of the fans. I mean, there was no walk-up music. There weren't a lot of commercials. You could hear the, the announcers talking. You Nobody's going to get thrown out of the game because the umpire could hear every single word you said. I didn't have to use the bullpen phone guys to call. I could just yell down to the bullpen. It was surreal, but after a couple of innings, we were just playing baseball. And what it hit me, it gave me an idea why some of the games last so long. I mean, we didn't have anybody hitting a double in a 10 to nothing game and putting horns over his head and pounding his chest at second base. I mean, it was it was such a team-oriented thing. And quite frankly, a lot of it was, was uh, I don't want to say attractive, it was just a reminder of the purity of baseball, really why we play the game. I think the game was like two hours, two hours, 10 minutes, because we just played baseball. There was not a lot of the, uh, booyah and in your base. Guys got in the box, guys hit, uh, and they played the game. And, Buck, along those lines, just to follow up with that, you know, college baseball came out early on with the SEC and said, we're going to push everything back to March the 30th. And all of a sudden it was April the 15th. And, you know, a lot of leagues in the country have said, hey, we're going to cancel everything for the remainder of the way. 
how tough is it and how much time would it take? Is that the main reason that, that you're probably not going to see college baseball this year is because how long does it take to get back in that rhythm? Because you just can't say, hey, we're going to start on April the 15th and start practice on April the 10th. Well, baseball is such a game of repetition. And because you play in professional baseball, you play every day. In college baseball, you're playing probably three four times a week. And it's probably not as big a challenge uh, collegiately as it would be professionally. But, you know, we're all going to err on the side of caution for sure. But if, if you look at a lot of the things, you know, my big question is if they grant this year of eligibility to these guys going in their senior year, what do they do with the freshmen coming in? You know, is the NCAA going to give more scholarships to the university? Are they going to – I mean, what happens to these freshmen – if they're going to have to go back and finish high school, it may all fit. But my question is, you got these freshmen coming in, and you got these seniors that may not be leaving. So you're going to have really five classes instead of four classes. So there's a lot of questions that the NCAA is going to have to answer. We talk so much about the state of baseball. Bart and I are kind of old school guys. We perhaps are not as analytical driven as some guys. We still believe you got to get the you got to get the ground ball to second base, move a runner, and those kind of things. Where do you see baseball headed in terms of analytics versus the old school feel? How do you, where do you see the state of baseball right now? Well, I, you know, I don't. You are analytical. You just don't realize. You just happen to do it a lot with something called an eye test. I remember somebody hitting on a field two two fields over, and I turned and said, "Who's that hitting over there?" He said, "Why?" I said, "I, I like the sound that the ball's making off his bat." I went over there and it was a guy named Manny Machado. There's a there's just some things that experience will show you. And the best organizations are the ones that bridge both together. I mean, they act like this is something new. You know, we were doing this back in the 70s and 80s. If you don't think Ron Polk was analytically driven, you know, you weren't listening or you weren't watching. It's kind of not comical, but it's kind of entertaining to make a lot of people think that this is something new. We just have a lot more sampling. Uh, you know, you still have to do the same thing to be successful in baseball. You know, you tell a coach or a manager, would you rather have somebody put the ball in play or somebody that you don't know what they're going to do? They're very, you know, consistency is always rewarded. I think, you know, we've kind of taken the uh, shame out of the strikeout. I know when I went back to the, and had struck out, which, you know, when a Ron Polk team didn't happen much, it was like a failure. I had three chances. We've kind of taken that away. Those guys still have a place. And there's, there's not a battle, but there's, you know, the people that are down in the dugout, the people that are in the locker room, you know things about players every day. We had a great run in Baltimore because we were able to surround ourselves with people that, you know, we knew had, would play the game like we needed played. You know, we couldn't be the Yankees or the Red Sox financially and payroll wise. So what were we willing to do? We were able to surround ourselves with a lot of people that, that shared the same, you know, skill set to do what we needed to do to compete with those people. But, you know, that, that healthy respect for the analytical side and the human element side are the organizations that do the best. I think the Washington Nationals are a great example of that. And, you know, to understand that the GMs and the owners are are driving a lot of this because, you know, the, the owners look at all these analytical-driven things and they think they, too, can be a baseball analyst. And there's so much more to the game, the experienced eye, and I call them boots-on-the-ground guys that know and see things. And there's a there's a process to get into an end game when you're coaching, and you just can't go from A to Z. I think that's why you're seeing so many arm issues. Because everybody's chasing velocity, everybody's chasing spin rate, and the torque on these shoulders and elbows. Uh, and there's more mistakes being made evaluating players than any time I can remember in our game because the other 
this, I call it the six tool. There's not enough people in the game anymore that really know how to evaluate the six tool to make up the character whose finger's going to shake when it's on the trigger in the ninth inning. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of elements that you only get from being with guys every day and understanding them. We talk a lot about college baseball. Obviously, we are, we're big college baseball fans. Where do you see the college baseball's role in, in the, the bigger game of baseball today? Growing, shrinking, or how do you see that? Well, unfortunately, a lot of it chases the dollar. You know, when you look back, a lot of the talk about decreasing the minor league teams. And, the, you know, there's, in some ways, I think they're looking for the colleges to be a, a cheaper form of, of minor league baseball. And, uh, you know, you go to some of these facilities, you can see why. But because, really, the facilities in minor league baseball are not as good as, on the whole, the college baseball facilities, with, with a lot of except. And I think they're trying to kind of, you know, weed those those places out. And it's very tough on some of these communities that have put in these bond issues and everything to build these stadiums. So I'm hoping there's going to be a lot of thought put behind it. But usually with things like this, when there's talk about this happening, usually you can follow the money trail and you'll follow it figure out why it's going on but um, you know college baseball is always going to have a place i spoke at the national college coaches convention in nashville this year six thousand over six thousand coaches it's a great event and i was very impressed with the thirst and the and the, the love of the game and you know it was one of the reasons i went was to kind of get a feel for what was going on the amateur side of it and it's all relevant whether you're coaching a little league team a high school team heck i remember every pitch from a state championship in high school whether it's chasing a, a world series trophy or an SEC championship, it's all relevant. And I have a saying that, you know, these are the good old times. These are the good old days. You know, we always reach back for memories of other things. But also in baseball, the more they change, the more they stay the same. You still have to do the same things to be successful in our game. And I just, I worry a lot about the health of our pitchers' arms, the way that they're being always chasing velocity. We're talking to former Bulldog great and Major League Manager Buck Showalter. Buck, before we turn you loose, we watch it. Charlie and I watch a video before every game at uh, Duty Noble. They play on the video board, and you're one of the guys that comes through that montage. Mississippi State, uh, you know, thinks a lot of you, and, and you're still big at Mississippi State. Looking back to your college time, and you start talking about, you know, guys that that have their season cut short right now with a high school level, and they may be upset at the junior college level because they may not ever put that uniform on again. What does Mississippi State mean to you? Because I know that you talk to Russ Aldrich. I know that you made a lot of great, long-lasting friendships when you were in Startville. What does Mississippi State, what do you think about when you think of Startville, Mississippi? Well, you know, I left Startville uh, after my junior year. I signed two contracts, one with uh, the Yankees and one with my parents, that I would go back and finish my degree. And probably of all the things I've accomplished, that's the thing I'm most proud of. And Coach Polk uh, helped me get back and, and finish up my degree, not financially, but just made the avenues easier. And that was very important to him. Uh, I know that when we came out of this junior college, we couldn't figure out what everybody was clamoring about, Ole Miss and LSU and the big rivalry. Well, let me tell you, the first time I went out to play left field in Oxford, I knew exactly what everybody was talking about. And I wasn't a big fan of Ole Miss, and quite frankly, not to this day. But I, uh, you know, it's uh, it's something that sits with you your whole life. And, uh, you know, the, the relationships and, you know, the people that the way you're treated and I enjoy going back there. I'd like to do it more. I'm really excited about Coach Leach coming in and I follow really strong follower of the girls program. I love the, the way he goes about his business and the way that uh, his girls and women, young women play the game. So it's, uh, you know, it's something that's been a lifelong love of mine and, uh, you know, I'll always be appreciative of the time I spend there and continue to spend there because it meant a lot to me in my life. 
Buck, we appreciate it. Thank you for taking time out of your day to, to talk with a, a couple of guys that, uh, that share your same thoughts, that love of Mississippi State. Appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. You guys take care. And that's Buck Joe Walter brought to you by Heartland Catfish. Remember those five great Heartland locations this week, Southern Hands Homestyle Cooking in the Memphis area. Well, we appreciate you hanging out with us again. Another edition of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau.